you turn on the microphone first? So, <laughs> so last week, last Saturday, um, Dan and Dee came to visit me. They stopped by the house. And um, Dan and Dee are Jehovah's Witness. And they came, and I knew who they were because they had stopped by earlier that week. And I said, you know, I'm watching the boys right now. Can you come back? And so they did. And I invited them in. I said, come on in. Um, come ha- have the drink. Dude, would you like something to drink? Can I take your coat? Come on in and sit down. And so, um, you know, I'm, I don't know. Has anybody here had a Jehovah's Witness or someone from Jehovah's Witness come and visit them? Yeah, so, you know, you can imagine, like, for them, this is an important part. They go and they visit people and they talk about their faith. And so you can imagine for them, they think, oh, you know, we've got one. <laughs> you know, he's, he invites us in and he wants to talk. And you can imagine sort of their thought about where the conversation was going. And, you know, they, I think, you know, would you like to talk about spiritual things? I said, I'd love to talk about spiritual things. And I'd love to talk about the Bible and, and God. And, and so we started talking. And pretty quickly I tell them, you know, I don't want to be, you know, leave them too long. I said, I'm the pastor of the Covenant Church. And you can kind of see their face fall a little bit. Like, oh, so that's, this isn't going where I thought it was going. Um, but it was interesting. And then I pretty quickly, I mean, I, I don't know much about the Jehovah Witness faith. But I do know one thing is that they, um, they claim that Jesus is not God that he is um, created, that he is, um, some I've read that, that he is an angel that God created and he made him a great angel. And uh, so I started talking with them and I said, you know, I, I believe that Jesus is actually God the Son, that he is divine, that he is fully human and fully God at the same time. And we started talking about that. And it was interesting. I mean, they had lots of scriptures where they could show me and, and some of them came from the... the um, New World Translation, I think it's called, which is the Jehovah's Witness Bible, which, um, you know, I, I read it in Greek, so I know some of the places where they've added a few things or taken away a few things to kind of make Jesus seem less uh, divine. And, um, but they, they had verses in the Bible they could talk with me about. And, and they had logic, too. I mean, I mean uh, Dan was saying, I read in Genesis where it says, the Lord created. And, and he doesn't realize that in actually Hebrew it says Elohim, which is plural for gods, but we understand it as one God, or the united God, one united God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But anyways, he said, I read it as one, you know, and so how is there three? It's illogical. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, and you can't prove it. So anyways, we had this long conversation, and um, it was good. And, and after they left, they said, they said, you know, it was great to talk with you. Probably a little bit frustrating, but it was good to talk with you um, because you were kind and you you knew the word of God and he said we go to sometimes we go to people who are Christians and he said we don't get a very kind reception you know they run us off or we have a very argumentative debate and then everybody just you know walks off and leaves and she said you know thanks for being open and having this open conversation about the truth because ultimately we I mean the three of us are seeking the truth now I want to encourage you not to worry Um, I went back and I looked at it you know I want to check out some of this stuff. And I am still more convinced than ever that not only is Jesus the Messiah, not only is he the Son of God, that he is also God the Son. That he is fully human and fully God at the same time. So I want to encourage you with that. So, but it got me thinking as I went back this next week, or this last week, and and actually, you know, God, how he works. This was the passage, or this passage from John 5 that I began working on. And wanting to see, you know, Jesus... I believe that you're the Son of God, that you are divine, fully God, and fully human. But can you show me again? It's great. I want to hear it again. I, I believe that it's true. But I want to know for sure because um, 
I'm interested in the truth. I am, for me, if someone could prove to me that Christianity weren't true, that Jesus really didn't die on a cross and rise again, and that um, he isn't somehow God and man at the same time, I don't think I would, I wouldn't want to waste my time or yours. But as I've got back into the Word, the Word of God, and I started reading, I, I realized that, you know, I still believe, I still see that Jesus is not just the Messiah, He's also God, fully human and fully God. And so I went back and I feel it's almost like when I asked my grandfather to tell me some of his stories, I say, can you tell me that story again? And so I felt myself this week asking Jesus, Jesus, can you tell me that story again, how you are God and man at the same time? Did any of you ever have that question? I mean, have you ever wrestled with that question? Jesus, are you really God? Maybe some of you have asked that question. Maybe it was decades ago and you haven't really had to go through it again. Maybe some of you are here today and you're still wondering, I don't know, Jesus, are you really God? Or are you just a great teacher that people got wrong? People, you're asking that question. And it can be a little bit complicated too because you read through, if you begin reading the Bible at the beginning, you'll get this picture of one God. Um, I mean, I think of Deuteronomy. The, it's called the Shema. It was just, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And I think I hear that one as in united, um, but also one in, in essence, complicated things. But we hear that and we start thinking, how does the Lord is one fit with Father, Son, and Spirit? Three. So we, you know, it can be confusing. But then you also read um, Paul, a Jewish teacher, uh, early Jewish pastor, and, and he's ta- writing his letter to Titus, and he says, you know, in our faith in God and Savior Jesus Christ. Or Peter, another Jewish pastor early in the church, one of Jesus' first followers, and he says, he says our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Or another one of Jesus' early followers, John, three early followers of Jesus, his disciples, his apostles. And one of them, John, in his book called Revelation, or his letter to the churches, seven churches, called Revelation. Um, in Revelation 5, he talks about the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, there next to God the Father on the throne, both being worshipped. Which is, doesn't really fit with the idea that Jesus isn't God. Because if he's not God, then he shouldn't be worshipped. Not by anybody. Least of all, all of creation, as it describes in Revelation. So we hear the, the whole of Scripture speaking And we have to try to reconcile those things. And so maybe you've had a friend who's asked you, you know, do you really believe this Christianity thing that Jesus is the Son of God? And hopefully most of you are saying, yeah, I do. The tough question becomes, well, why do you believe that? And I can tell you the answer, because my pastor says so, won't hold much water with them. (laughs) So this is a question I think that many of us wrestle with or could at some time wrestle with. And so, this is why I'm thankful for the Word of God. You know, the, the Word of God that was, that was written thousands of years ago still speaks to us today. It's still immediately relevant right now. God is still teaching us. As we, can, we can read through uh, the writings of the Apostle Paul, or Peter, or John, or we can read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we can see who Jesus is. We can hear the stories that they tell about him and see that he is, 
he is at very least an amazing man, and I would say, in truth, he is God among us, Emmanuel. So I wanted to draw your attention to your bulletins. Actually, in your bulletin, you'll find an insert that has a huge piece of scripture on it. This is, this is a latter, the second half of John 5. We, we're not going to read the whole thing this morning. It would, it would take too long. But I just wanted you to notice that there are three parts that are underlined. And we're going to be working through those are sort of the, the key points. So the first one uh, is right at the top. It's chapter six, or verse 16. So if you have it there or if you want to look in your Bible, please do that too. It's John chapter 5, verse 16. So it says, Because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, The Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jewish people tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So this this is sort of the the context of where we're at, and and the the problem is what, what Jesus is doing on the Sabbath. So, some of you weren't here last week, so I'll just quickly go back over what we talked about last week, was that Jesus has come to Jerusalem and he heals this man who's been disabled for 38 years. But the wrinkle is he heals him on the Sabbath day. Now in Jewish Judaism, uh, Sabbath was holy and you didn't do any work. It was a day of rest. It was one of the signs that they used. It was a sign that they were keeping the, the covenant that God had made with them through Moses. And... Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, Jewish people, like, if someone were immediately in trouble, they would, they would say, you know what, take them to the hospital and heal them. You know, if, if their life is in danger, absolutely heal them. So it's not completely crazy. But they would say, you know, if it's not life-threatening, let's honor the Sabbath. If they can hold on a few more hours, then we'll start to heal them. And so Jesus does this amazing thing. He heals this guy who's been disabled for 38 years, which I think John probably tells us that detail so that if you were a Jewish person, you would know, well, they, if they've been disabled for 38 years, they could probably make it a few more hours till the end of Sabbath. But Jesus heals him right there. And the amazing thing is, is Jesus, this amazing teacher, this rabbi, tells him, not only does he say, get up, he says, take up your mat and walk. So Jesus has healed him and instructed him to carry something on the Sabbath, which, according to Jeremiah, if you read that Jeremiah 21, he says you shouldn't, do, you shouldn't carry anything on the Sabbath, let alone carry it into the gates of Jerusalem. And so here's Jesus, this amazing man of God, telling him basically to break the Sabbath. And so you can understand why the people who were around him who were keeping Sabbath, or Sabbath was such an important part of their life, he's saying, they're, they're saying they're starting to persecute him. They're angry, they're furious with him. So that's where this key point here where Jesus says... Um, so there's this key point where Jesus says um, that my father is always at work. So, hey Rick, can you hit the, the next slide? One more, too. So, Jesus is talking with this guy. And he says to him, my father is always at work. And the first thing I want to bring our attention to is it says, my father. Now, in the Greek, there's this extra word there, but basically it means particularly my Father. Not, not the same way that like we pray our Father in heaven, like ours collectively, but mine specifically, uniquely my Father in heaven. And I'll explain this in a minute. But he says, my Father is always at work, even to this day. 
He's always working. Which, to the Jewish way of thinking about Sabbath, that can be a bit challenging. Now, many Jewish people would recognize that, oh, yes, of course God is working through the Sabbath. I mean, people still live. Children are still born. People still die. Priests are still required to do their work. So there are some um, exceptions to the Sabbath. But for any old person to just be telling him to, uh, teaching someone to walk and carry him out on the Sabbath, that was, that's the sort of thing that could get you stoned, the sort of thing that could get you killed. Sabbath was one of the few laws in the, in the Old Testament that uh, the punishment was death. So here's Jesus doing this amazing thing, and he's instructing this guy. And so they get pretty angry with him. They get angry with him. So it's amazing to me that Jesus is doing this and teaching them, or teaching these guys, that the, the thing that really gets them upset is that Jesus says, my father. And he makes himself equal with God. It says in the text that they were angry because he had made himself equal with God. So not only is Jesus healing on the Sabbath, instructing God to break it, but he also is now implying, and I would say in the Jewish way, saying that I am equal with my Father. What I see my Father do, that's what I do. Jesus is equal with God the Father. And we know from Matthew's uh, description of this similar incident with Pharisees on the Sabbath that Jesus actually says, I am Lord of the Sabbath, which uh, that's a big statement. <laughs> that's basically saying that you are God alongside God. So Jesus is doing these things, and it's, it's dangerous. This is, so it's no wonder for me that the people are so furious. The Jewish people who have this high regard for the day of Sabbath, they are, they are furious with him. He's saying that he's equal to God, which is blasphemy. He's breaking their beloved Sabbath. And so it's dangerous for him. And so I see Jesus, he's saying that I am Lord of the Sabbath, that he's saying that my Father is always at work and I am always at work too. And so I can imagine, I mean, it, we don't hear them saying this, but I imagine Jesus thinking, they're probably thinking to themselves, who do you think you are, Jesus? Who do you think you are? So that leads us to the next part, where Jesus starts talking with them. And if you would look with me at this sheet here again, it's the next uh, underlined section. It says, For just as a father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And I realize that as Jesus is telling them this, that he's divinely devoted to his father. And what I mean by this is that Jesus is here saying that I will do this. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I see my Father doing. I'm not off on my own trying out some new thing. I'm doing what I've seen my Father in heaven do. Now this is the part that's complicated sometimes for people. Because they hold the idea of, of God obeying someone and the idea of God, how do you put those together? I mean, I don't... I don't quite see how God would have to obey anyone. If Jesus really is God, why does he have to obey his Father? Doesn't that mean there's some sort of hierarchy that one is less than the other? And so I've heard people who've said this, who I've heard them say, you know, to my way of thinking, my idea of God, God wouldn't serve anyone, even if it was God his Father. So Jesus can't be God. And I want to point out, there's a difference between 
our idea of God and how he should be and what the scriptures say. How God has revealed himself in the Bible. Now, when there's a difference between what, how I think God should be and what the scriptures say, we have a choice. We can either stick with, well, I'm sorry, Bible, but I don't think God should act that way. Or we can let the Bible influence us. We can let the Bible shape what we think. And I know people who, I've talked with people who said, uh, I don't believe that God would become human and live among us. It's just not what I think God would do. So I don't believe in the whole Christianity thing. And I think, interesting. Where do you have that belief? Or why do you have that belief? I don't know, I just do. It's just what makes sense to me. And I think, interesting. That's an interesting faith. Because it's not based on something that someone has shown you. It's just something you believe. So I think about us or people that maybe you talk with who say, I just can't see how God would become a human or how a human and God can mix. And I see that as we read through Scripture, we have to let the Bible influence us rather than saying, oh, that doesn't fit with what I think, so I don't believe it. But I want to make this point too, is that um, for the people who have that question, is God acting the way that I thought? But what I realized as I was studying this is that by Jesus following his Father, by Jesus doing the will of his Father in heaven, it is not in any way a deficiency, as though Jesus were somehow less than his Father. In fact, I see it as this amazing revelation of what God is like. Jesus, when he came, he says, no one has seen the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That Jesus reveals what God is like, this amazing humility of God. I mean, think about that. God, who created everything. I mean, everything we see, the air that we breathe, the cosmos, all of this has given life, the intricacies of flowers and, I mean, butterfly wings. I mean, how amazing the creation is. How amazingly resilient we are and fragile we are. That God would do all these things and then still be humble enough to make himself human and come and live among us. To me, that's amazing. It demonstrates God's love for us. That God, who is up here, would come all the way down and become human to live among us to save us. I don't see it as a deficiency of God. I see it as an amazing revelation or, or realization of who God is and what he's like. That God has come. That that he has come to, to begin this new covenant with us. So it's interesting, as I, and one of the areas where I see this come through very clearly was after Jesus was baptized, it said the Spirit moved him out into the desert. And there Satan came. The, uh, maybe some of you, Satan, the devil, came and tried to tempt him. And the final temptation was, Jesus, don't do this. You don't have to follow your Father. You can have all the power and glory if you just take it. And Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Jesus, showing the humility of God, says, no, I'm not going to do it that way. My, kind of the way I read that is that he probably could have. He could have done it that way, but he remained faithful to his Father in heaven. We see the character of God, that he would humbly follow his Father. Even though he is very God himself, the same essence as the Father, he still remained under him, obedient, doing the Father's will. To me, this is an amazing realization of who God is, even if it doesn't fit with my idea of what God should be like. 
So Jesus, he's, he's revealing God's humble heart to us. So not only is he revealing God's humble heart, not only is he obedient, but he's also faithful. He's equal to God. And I say this because of the things that Jesus does. I mean, I think about the things that Jesus did in his life, and, and I start to see like only God could do these sort of things. Look with me at, at verse um, 21 again. He says, let's read again. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son of Man gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all in judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And I began realizing that Jesus, it says that Jesus has life in him like the Father, that he can give life, that he can raise from the dead. And we know the stories of, of the, the general's daughter that Jesus raised, or Lazarus, people that Jesus raised who were dead and he brought them back to life. Or the fact of judgment. As you read through the Old Testament, judgment was God's prerogative. That was the domain of God only. And yet here, Jesus is saying, he has given that to me. God doesn't judge anyone. He has given that responsibility to me, God the Son. But this is the part that was most compelling to me. These two little words, just as. So they would honor the Son just as they honor the Father. In Jesus' day, people's jaws would have dropped when he said that. He's basically saying that he is equal with God, that people would honor him just as they honor God the Father. Just as. Not a little bit less, but just as. Equal with the Father. So I realized that Jesus, not only is he here doing the will of God the Father, doing everything he sees the Father doing, not only is he willingly obeying, but he's also actually able to do it. See, I think that's the point. Some people look at it and they think, you know, Jesus is obeying the Father and doing everything that he sees his Father doing. Sometimes people focus on the obey and they say, how can it be God? But the interesting thing for me is that he does everything he sees his father doing. How could someone who wasn't God do everything they see God doing? God is God. And for Jesus to do what he sees his father doing, he must be God himself. No mere person could do what God does. And yet Jesus is able to do it because he is God. So with me? Following me? So these, these Jewish leaders, they're talking with Jesus, and he, he says, you know, you're, you're wondering, who do I think I am? I think I'm equal with the Father. I think that I'm doing these things so that you will honor the Son, me, just as you honor the Father. And so you can imagine Jesus anticipating their next question. Says who? Says who? Who testifies to this? Jesus, okay, anybody can claim these crazy things, but says who? And so Jesus begins and he starts telling them that my father testifies to me, that the scriptures testify to me, and that Moses does. So if you would, take a look with me one more time. The last underlined section at verse 36. He says, I have a testimony weightier than that of John. 
For the very work that the Father has given to me to finish, which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. So the first one who testifies is God the Father. The works that he has sent Jesus to do. Think about the things that Jesus did in his life. Those of you who have read the Gospels. What person, what person could heal people? by laying their hands on them. They could give sight to the blind, could cleanse lepers, could raise the dead to life by touching them or even just by saying the words. What person could do that? What person could teach with the authority that Jesus taught? I don't know if you remember, but when Jesus first taught in Galilee, people were amazed at the authority with the way that he taught the scriptures. What person could do this like Jesus? Or I think about, you know, we talk about Jesus uh, being blameless, that he lived the life perfectly, without sin. What human could do this? I mean, we know how greedy we are. We know how angry we get and how selfish we can be. Even the best of you, <laughs> I know you have those moments. But Jesus lives blamelessly. What person could do that? And that's just his life. Who could accomplish? What mere human could accomplish on the cross what Jesus accomplished on the cross? What human could reconcile us to God the Father by dying on the cross? And not just reconcile us, humanity, but reconcile all of creation back to God. I don't think any angel could do that. I believe only God could do that. What God could, could die on the cross taking the punishment for our sin? Did I say what God? Sorry. <laughs> really, that doesn't sound right. What human could die on the cross and have our sins forgiven? Only God could do that. What human could die on the cross and defeat Satan? Only God could do that. Only God could die on the cross and defeat death, giving us hope and new life. Now, as amazing as the cross is, it is still only the second best thing in human history. Second only behind the greatest thing is that the resurrection, that Jesus rose again. That God the Son was raised from death to life so that we might have life more full, that we might have life eternal. John talks about it in his gospel all the time. He uses the Greek word zoe. He's talking about life in a specific sense, about life more full, not just going through the motions, not just getting your bills paid and working Monday through Saturday, Monday through Friday and trying to make the best of it on the weekends. He's talking about life more full, life filled with meaning and hope and joy, uh, even joy despite how hard things get. He's talking about life more full. That doesn't, you don't have to wait until you die and go to heaven. It begins the moment we begin believing into him. This new life that begins in the moment we believe into him and it goes on forever with him. What human could do this? What created angel could do this? I believe only God could do this. So, the, the works that, that God has sent Jesus to do testify that he is God the Son. 
But Jesus said, there's more. The scriptures testify to me. The prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Malachi, Micah, even Moses, he even, he even prophesied that there would be one who would come, a Messiah would come, who would save the people and make all things right. He says, you, you pour through the scriptures. Actually, if you want to read it here, look, it's, uh, let's see, just below the, the, uh, the last section that we just read, number two, it's in bold. It says, the scriptures testify about me, but you refuse to come to me to have life. He says, you, you pour over the scriptures. You read through them looking for, for eternal life and you fail to see that the author of life is standing right in front of you. You're so focused down on the words and the, and the covenant that Moses had given to you that you fail to see that Jesus is here with a new covenant in hand. He says, the scriptures testify to me. But not only that, he says, the one you follow, Moses, he testifies to me too. Is actually in Deuteronomy. Where Moses says that one like me will rise up. A prophet like me will rise up from your brothers. Listen to him. And a few verses later, God says, I like what the people have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people what I've commanded. That even Moses prophesied about a Messiah, about a prophet who would come like him, like Jesus. And so that brings us back around to the conversation about Sabbath. You see, because it was when God gave the, the covenant to uh, Moses at Sinai, the sign of that covenant was keeping the Sabbath. And so here is Jesus saying that the new covenant is beginning. And he instructs his people, he heals a guy on the Sabbath and tells him to carry up his mat and walk. Because Jesus is this prophet who has come who is greater than Moses. He's brought this new covenant. This new covenant that includes all of us, even though we are not Jewish. That includes all people, Gentiles, into the people of God. So Jesus is saying, you know, they, you can almost hear them asking, you know, you say you're God, says who? And Jesus says, well, for one, God the Father says, by the works that he's given me to do, and I can actually do them. The scriptures, they testify to. And Moses himself said that, that there would be one coming like him. So as we were talking through this, um, some of you are loving this, right? <laughs> this identity of who Jesus is. I'm hopeful some of you are loving this. But I also know that some of you might be asking, or probably are asking, okay, thanks for the theology. How does this affect my life today? How does this affect my life this week? Uh, some of you might be here because you still have questions about Jesus. You're still wondering who he is. You still have this question, Jesus, are you really the Son of God? Are you really the one uh, who has been sent to us? If this is you, if you're here today and you're still uncertain about Jesus and who he is, I have good news for you. If you are realizing that Jesus is God, congratulations. It's going to change your life. It's this, this simple faith that will change your life, that will turn everything upside down. If this is you today, after the service, I want you to come talk with me. I'll be sitting right here. I want to talk with you about who Jesus is and pray with you. 
But I also know that there are some of you here, hopefully most of you here, who already believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And you're thinking, okay, great, thanks for the refresher, I knew that. How does this fit for me? I want you to to read one thing with me. It's verse 24, if you can find that on the sheet. It's right below the second group of of underlined uh, section there. Verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. If you already knew that Jesus was God the Son, if that's something you've believed for a long time now, this week, I want you to read just that verse, 24. And I want you to spend time with God in prayer, and I want you to rejoice. Rejoice because Jesus came, and because he is God the Son, everything that he said, everything that he did is true. We can trust our lives to him, believe into him, and have new life. And then give thanks. Give thanks to God for what he's done. This amazing new life that we have because of him. And rejoice. I get excited when I think about this for us. As I think what this means for us. And I think about myself. And I I feel like today again, I've come to, to Jesus and I said, Jesus, tell me that story again. That story that I love about how you are God. Show me again. And I feel like he's done it. And as I start thinking about this, it makes me want to live faithfully for him. It makes me want to go and to live out my faith, to care for people, to talk with people about Jesus and who he is. It makes me want to live out my faith in my family, in my home, with Tracy and with my sons, to be faithful to them, to encourage them in their faith, to be a good father, to be a good husband. It makes me want to live out my faith in our community. It makes me want to be a good man. And I pray that as you guys think about the reality that Jesus really is God and he's really done these things and he's really changed our lives, given us not only hope and life right now, but life eternal, but it makes you want to live out this faith too. And I get excited about that as you start living this faith out in the places where you work, the friends that you spend time with, your neighbors. And we begin to see the kingdom of God grow even more in our community. People's lives begin to change. People's lives are transformed. And they, too, begin to realize that Jesus really is the Son of God. Rick, can you hit it one more time? That Jesus really is this giver of life. God, the Son, who has come and lived among us, who died and rose again, that we might have life, life to its fullest extent now and into the future. I pray that we live out this good news.